you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Welcome to Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks, shouts, swears, and whispers African myths and legends straight into your ear canal. As you may remember, Squirt, my moth, and I are trapped on a pirate ship, having been kidnapped by the dastardly and mysterious Captain Memorybank. She is a fierce one, yet at the same time, remarkably charming. Could you restrain your Google eyes for one tiny second, you useless human? I... Squirt? Did, did you just talk? Of course, I can talk, you Maronica's homo sapien. That's unexpected. I didn't really think you would sound so... human. Typical. Humans always have to relate it back to themselves. Did you ever stop to think that maybe I don't sound like a human, but instead you sound like a moth? That doesn't really make sense. Your butt doesn't make sense. Now shut the hell up and focus on what I'm saying. Captain No Good over there is talking about making us walk the plank. I'm all good because I'll just flutter the fuck away. But you? When last did you swim in the ocean? Uh, never. Honestly, I don't understand how humans are the dominant species. Just get on with your damn story while I figure out a way to save your ass, as usual. Okay, okay. Let's just get on to today's story, Mr. Cranky Pants. Far south of the Nile was a magnificent and grand kingdom. Within this kingdom lived a king. He was a good king, powerful, benevolent, and strong. He had one son named Samba. Now Samba was a big baby when he was born, causing his mother much pain and grief while she pushed him out, but making her smile and laugh as she held him in her arms. As Samba grew, however, he seemed to startle at every small thing. A cricket flew by, and he flinched in his mother's arms before crying loudly. Somewhere a jackal howled, and Samba woke from his sleep, crying and yelling in fear. Initially, Samba's father and mother were not worried. He was just a child, after all. Children were often scared of things, weren't they? But then Samba didn't stop being scared of things, as his parents thought he would. Those around the king and queen were puzzled by the boy's behaviour. It is odd that a boy of our kingdom runs from a trumpeting elephant or hides in his hut when a lion cub comes out, they would mutter. But then they would quickly add when they saw the royal couple's distressed faces. Uh, but, but he is still young. He will be stronger and braver than the rest when he is a young man. And to these words the king and queen would smile and nod. But their faces would fall when they turned away from their subjects. Soon Samba was a young man, tall, strong and handsome. He was a favourite of all around due to his sweet and pleasant nature. Always eager to help others, he won the hearts of many in his kingdom. But the people noticed that they would never find Samba in any dangerous situations. Whenever a bull elephant stampeded through, the royal guard would storm out with the king issuing orders amongst them. But Samba? Samba stayed in his room, shaking with fear. 
when a great lioness stole one too many sheep. The kingdom sent brave men out to kill her, yet Samba remained behind, sweat dripping off him as he watched the men leave. Yet still, no one said anything. He's a good boy, they would say. I am sure when our realm is truly in danger, Samba will rise to the occasion, others would add, and everyone would nod. Then, one day, the kingdom woke from the haze of a hot summer's evening to find their herds had been stolen and their herdsmen taken as slaves by a rival kingdom. Now, surely, Samba would rise up and charge out to avenge the herdsmen and bring honour to the kingdom. Yet Samba was nowhere to be found. Instead, a group of strong warriors left without him. Some days later, Samba returned, and claimed that he had tracked down a dangerous lion to its lair, and killed it so as to save the kingdom from great danger. Unfortunately, he had no evidence of this kill, and the wounded and battered warriors scoffed at his flimsy excuse. Samba the coward, they yelled at him, and soon the kingdom's people joined in, while his parents turned their faces away in great shame. Coward! Liar! Weakling! Shouts and screams and jeers followed Samba back to his hut, where he sat with those words swimming in his head. That night, he crept to the stables, took a horse, and rode far, far away from his home. He would find a place where he could be safe and away from the judgment of others. But it was a long and terrible journey for Samba. Every night, he was kept awake by the sounds of what could only be dangerous beasts, waiting for him to sleep so that they could tear into his flesh. During the day, he would find himself dozing off, only to startle from a distant lion's roar and almost fall off his horse. Many times, Samba turned his horse around, only to stop and continue back onto his journey. The kingdom's harsh words swirled in his head, but more urgent were their calls for him to go to war. He could never go to war. To his great relief, Samba finally saw the gigantic walls of another city rising up before him, and entering through the city gates, Samba last felt some of the fear drain away. What Samba did not know, however, was that his arrival did not go unnoticed. Far above, on the roof of the palace, the princess sat perched atop, watching him with glittering eyes. She took great interest in this new arrival, admiring the way his proud figure sat tall atop his black mount, easily and kindly picking his way through the crowd. She called for a servant. Go and meet with this new man and find out who he is and what he wants, she ordered, and the servant left straight away to do as she bid. Soon the servant returned with news that Samba was a prince and heir to a kingdom which lay near the great river. The princess immediately called for an audience with her father and told him that she would marry Samba and no other. The king was naturally displeased with this, after all, he did not know the Samba and had never met him. But the king had always found it difficult to refuse his daughter, and what was more worrisome was that she had refused nearly thirty suitors before this. If she didn't marry this Samba, she probably would never marry. And so the king met with Samba, and found himself pleasantly charmed by the young man's gentle and respectful nature. Then the princess came in and formally met the prince. The moment Samba set his eyes upon her, he fell desperately and deeply in love. He knew that he would do anything for his princess. Well, almost anything. The prospect of endangering himself still made him want to curl into a ball and cry. On her side, the princess wore a dignified and closed expression, never revealing how keenly she felt for the prince. 
She knew that he was the one for her, and delighted in his ability to match her wit in conversation. And so, with everything said and done, a great wedding feast was planned, and hundreds of guests from all over the kingdom streamed into the palace to celebrate with the newly wedded couple. A few weeks into their marriage, and the princess was as content as could be. She loved her tall and handsome husband, who was always kind, always respectful, and always found ways to make her laugh. Despite this, and although she would not admit it to him directly, she sometimes wished he was a little more forceful. He always declined sparring matches with his warriors, an activity her father had always engaged in, choosing instead to sit with her under the palm trees, regaling her with tales and stories his own father had told him. She would listen eagerly to his tales of his people's customs, so different to her own in some ways, yet in others very much the same. When tournaments were held, and the strongest men of the kingdom would wrestle with each other on the dusty floor, Samba instead played Anamungula with his father-in-law, unwilling to engage in physical combat. The princess did not mind this behaviour too much, although she would sometimes catch herself daydreaming of a strong husband wielding a sword with ease as he defended the kingdom. She couldn't help it. You see, she had always been a fighting child, ever since she was young. The day she was born, sickly and too small, her mother had kissed her forehead, said goodbye, and joined their ancestors. Her father had cradled his small body to his large chest, whispering prayers as his tears mingled with the sweat. The wise woman who had seen the princess pushed out from her mother's womb told the king that the little babe would not last the night. But when her father woke the next morning and looked into the woven basket next to him, he found a bright-eyed baby with glowing cheeks. The princess was as healthy as could be and gripped her father's thumb with two strong hands. Her father announced that she was a gift from the gods themselves, and so he named her Gabra. Gabra the princess grew into a tall, beautiful woman who succeeded in almost everything she did. In weaving and clothwork, she was the best among the women. Before she was born, the king was the champion of Alamungula. Then Gabra came along and beat him, age twelve. She easily learned her people's customs and prayers and understood the delicate political balance upon which her father's kingdom rested. But out of all of these, arts, religion, politics, Gabra most enjoyed combat. And though her father's counsellors were not entirely pleased at the prospect of a woman learning to fight, they could not deny her superior ability. She held her own against most of the warriors, and those who did defeat her struggled to do so. She was faster and stronger than her male cousins, much to their chagrin. Gabra would often talk about running off and joining the Mino of Dahomey, much to her father's amusement. If the king did not hold so much respect for the customers of his kingdom, he would have gladly let his daughter rule alone as queen. But sadly, this is something he could not do, and the realm of marriage and love was one arena in which Gabra always failed. Day after day, the king had brought in potential suitors, in the hope that one of them would live up to the princess's rather high expectations. But none could please her. A few managed to befriend her, and she enjoyed sparring against them, but always eventually turned them away. The king's counsellors grew uneasy, and began advising the king to take a firmer hand with his daughter's marital prospects. The kingdom was vulnerable unless it had an heir, and Gavra's two younger brothers, twins from the king's second wife who also died in childbirth, were too young still. The cousins who lived, 
were of his first wife's bloodline, and therefore unsuitable for the throne. It was because of this also that the king was more amenable to meeting Samba, and was even more surprised to see the adoration in his daughter's eyes when she met the young man. And so Gabra, the headstrong, fierce warrior princess, could not help but find herself dreaming of her husband, striding out onto the battlefield, and beating off their enemies with her at his side. One day, Gabra just could not help herself, and mentioned her desire to Samba while they were lying together under the palm trees. I am so proud of how strong and handsome you are, Samba. I only wish others could see the strength you possess. If only the warriors from the north would come and dare to challenge us, how they would cower before you while the city cried your name in triumph, she exclaimed as she imagined the scene before her eyes. But Samba's face grew dark as the memories of his own kingdom and the harsh words of his fellow men came back to him. No, never wish for that. In fact, never speak about any invading forces again. I fled my own people because of war. I will do the same if you invite invasion here, he shouted angrily retreating hastily into their rooms. The princess was initially shocked. She had never heard her husband raise his voice, and not once had he ever cast an angry eye upon her. She shook her head and laughed. <laughs> How funny you are, husband, she said, as she followed him into their room. You had best not say that to anyone else, otherwise they would actually think you were being serious, she added with a small chuckle. Samba did not reply, and he avoided her searching eyes. It was then that Gabra knew that he had made no such joke, and a heavy feeling descended upon her chest. Some months after this, the kingdom's herders ran into the city and announced that a group of warriors from the north had arrived and stolen many cattle from them. At once the king ordered a fierce retaliation, and the war drum sounded across the kingdom, calling all of the warriors out and onto the battlefield. The kingdom's warriors let out fierce war cries and soon began shouting for Samba to lead them out. But the prince did not appear. They called and called, and the king himself ordered Samba to appear, but to no avail. Gabra snuck out of her rooms and began searching for her husband, eventually finding him in the cellar, crouching behind large pots of grain. She knelt next to him and gently took his hands. They were shaking. Samba, please, the men are calling for you. Father himself has ordered for your appearance, she said, lifting her head so that she could look into his eyes. Samba quickly looked away, his face full of misery. I... I can't. You don't understand. Every time I try to get up and walk out of here, walk out onto the battlefield. He took a shaky breath. It's like my body freezes up and a chill descends upon my heart. He slumped to the floor. I cannot be the brave warrior you desire, Gabra. I am sorry, he whispered, unable to meet her eyes. After a few moments of silence, the princess dropped his hands, letting them fall heavily into his lap, and stood. Give me your armor, your shotel, and your spear too, now, she said, her voice cold and stern, and so unlike her that Samba looked up in shock. The gentle face of his wife was gone, replaced by a warrior's stiff jaw and fierce eyes. The armor, inlaid with gold, was quickly put on, and Gabra gripped the spear in her right hand and the shotel in her left. The helmet did not cover her face, so she lowered over a black veil, thin enough for her to see through. If anyone should ask, 
She would simply ignore them and hope they would pass it off as a peculiarity of her husband's. Gabra then strode out of the cellar, without sparing a glance at her husband, still crouched behind the pots of grain. The princess leapt up and onto Samba's large horse, and rode out to the battlefield, silently signalling the warriors to follow her. The warriors saw the figure in Samba's armour, and the way they gripped their sword and spear, as a seasoned warrior would, and began cheering loudly. It could only be Samba, their leader. The northern warriors paled at the sight of the small yet fierce horde of warriors charging towards them. Gabra raised her spear, and her men rallied behind her with fierce cries. The two forces clashed, but Gabra's men demonstrated their superior fighting skills that day. Her spear shot through the air like an eagle after its prey, her sword moving in her hand like an extension of her arm, curving around shields and slicing her enemies with its jagged inner edge. Her warriors cheered as they watched Gabra send the last man running for his life, and roared as she turned to face them. One arm held high as she held out her sword in victory. As soon as they returned to the city, the princess hastily left her horse with the servant and ran up the palace steps two at a time, ignoring her cousin's calls and her younger brother's cheers. Instead of taking the main room steps, Gabra entered her chambers unseen by a hidden door in the palace. Samba looked up in shock as she entered, apprehension and shame mixing across his face. But she said nothing as she quickly stripped off the helmet and armour. Holding the armour out to him, she said, Quick, put these on at once. And Samba obeyed instantly, confused and ashamed and afraid. Then, dressed in her usual finery, Gabra led him out to greet the people, who cheered his name, calling him Samba the warrior and Samba the brave. There the prince smiled and waved, while inside, guilt and shame ate away at his heart. But one person was not so easily fooled, Gabra's cousin. Gabra's cousin had watched the battle from afar, but was able to recognize his cousin's fighting style. When he took his suspicions to the rest of the royal family, however, pointing out the fighting style and the strange veil he wore over his face, they laughed and turned him away. So he waited and devised a plan to prove to them that he was right. A few weeks later, another army of northern warriors arrived to avenge the deaths of their fellow men. This time, the princess did not even bother to ask her husband to fight, but immediately put on his armour and took up his weapons. Riding out again with the veil over her face, Gabra engaged the enemy warriors with renewed energy, cutting them down with fierce determination. The enemy was in greater number this time, and more deadly than before. Gabra found herself so immersed in battle that she did not notice her cousin sneak up behind her and slice her leg open, just a little, enough to make a mark, he thought, but surely not enough to severely injure her. In the heat of the battle, Gabra did not even feel it, but once the battle was won, and she began to make her way upstairs, the princess felt pain shooting up her leg. She barely made it to her chambers before collapsing onto the mat strewn across the floor. Samba stared at her wound in shock, feeling his body ache to run away from danger. Gabra huffed impatiently. <laughs> it is a small wound, husband. Quick, change into the armour and then lightly wound yourself in the same place so that no one will know better, the princess said as she stripped off her clothes, wincing as her leg throbbed. Samba paled and backed away. No, I, I can't do that. I just can't. Please, don't make me Gabra. The princess felt disappointment stab at her heart. I see. Very well, she said, turning her face away from him. Samba could not bear to look at her disappointed face, and turned away as well, 
At this point, Gabra quickly grabbed the spear and lightly pierced Samba in the leg, just enough to make it bleed. Samba shrieked in shock, stumbling forwards before falling sprawl to the floor. As he looked up, he saw Gabra wrapping up her leg and leaving the room before returning shortly with the either. As you can see, the princess said in a loud voice, which carried out of the room and across the courtyard, my husband is wounded in his leg. He must tend to his injury. At these words, some family members, including Gabra's cousin, crowded by the entrance of the room and watched the healer tend to the wounded prince. The rest of the family were now convinced that it was the prince who had fought. Her cousin clicked his tongue in frustration. He could do nothing with his suspicions. Only two days passed before another attack from the northerners came. The princess appealed once more to her husband. Samba, my leg is more injured than I thought. I will not be able to climb into the saddle without help. You must go instead, she exclaimed. But it was as if she were talking to a wall. Samba stood in front of her, his arms crossed and his eyes downcast. He was pale, sweaty, and tears brimmed over onto his cheeks. How could he explain to his wife, his good, brave, kind wife who was so much better at everything than him, how could he explain to her his inability to face violence? the near paralysis which came over him, the way his heart galloped faster than a horse across a field. Each time, Samba felt like he was dying, and he didn't know why or how to stop it. Now his wife, who had risked her life twice for his own dignity and had been injured because of him, asked him to step up to the battlefield, and he still could not find it within himself to do so. But he stood there in front of her and said nothing of these thoughts. Cabra let out a heavy sigh. All right. I will go, but I need you to at least do one thing. Harness your horse and ride it out to the gate. I will come to you via a secret path and swap places. Samba nodded his head miserably, and harnessing the horse, climbed slowly atop it. Then, with a sharp whoop to the buttock, Gabra sent the horse galloping out of the courtyard and through the city, with Samba hanging on for dear life. It dashed out of the city, past the waiting warriors, and out of the city gates as they opened. After recovering from their shock, the warriors roared in delight to see their prince so eager for battle, and with his face uncovered for the first time, they rallied behind him, and together they charged the northerners. And then, Samba was in the thick of battle. And something miraculous happened. Something deep within Samba's heart awakened. And like a lion defending his pride, Samba raised his sword in one hand and his spear in the other, and let out such a ferocious roar that several enemy lions staggered back in shock, and were easily cut down by the warriors. Samba was a huge man with great strength, and for the first time in his life, he realized that the fear, the same fear which branded him Samba the coward, no longer had a grip on him. He charged into enemy lines, curving his sword this way and that and allowing his spear to fly into the nearest enemy. No one could best him, and by the end of it, Samba held the sword of the northern king in his hand. Returning to the city, Samba placed the sword before the king and bowed deeply, not daring to look at his wife, who sat next to her father. His father-in-law could hardly contain his delight. Leaping from his throne, he pressed Samba's arms and thanked him for saving the kingdom. My kingdom is lucky to have a son like you, my boy. We have never had a warrior like you before, said the king. Samba smiled and finally looked at Gabra, his eyes glistening. 
thy father, thy king. It is not I who is the great warrior, but your daughter. She has taught me what it is to be a warrior, and I can never hope to reach her heights. Gabra smiled at his words, her eyes sparkling as she gazed back at her husband. And at last Samba the coward was no more. Instead, Gabra and Samba became the most renowned and well-loved rulers in all the land south of the Nile. And when the war drum called, the prince and the princess answered it side by side on the battlefield. I really enjoyed that story. Although Samba had his issues, he finally came through in the end and became the warrior the princess knew he was all along. The main source for this tale is from Andrew Lang's Fairy Books, which were published in 1889 to 1913. And as with the other stories, I have embellished and changed this folktale a lot. Especially the detail about the princess. They gave her a name and added her backstory. I also made Samba less selfish and more stricken by shame and guilt than in the source tale. I wanted to depict the anxiety caused by his fear as a kind of crippling physical attack. It rendered him incapable of anything, even when his beloved wife was injured. For me, it made it all the more satisfying when he finally faced his fear, or was forced to face his fear, and overcame it. I would like to end this episode with the dedication to the late mother of a friend of mine, Dr. Richard Sugg. Joan Sugg sadly passed from COVID this year. Reading the words Richard used to describe her, it is obvious that she possessed a great strength of character rarely found in individuals. The loveliest thing I've learned about her from Richard was that Joan Sugg found delight in things which many others would take for granted. A simple cup of tea, a brisk walk in the garden, or a good comforting meal. It made me think that, in times such as these, it has never been more important than to stop and think of the small things which bring you joy, whether that's picking up a good book in the evening, or cherishing the memories of loved ones, or cuddling with your dog on the bed. So thank you, Richard, for letting me make the small dedication and for sharing your memories of your mother with me. Joan Sugg has suddenly made me see the world with fresh eyes. Rest in peace, Joan. And now I must love and leave you. Legendary Africa is produced and edited by Hestia the Dog, written by Athena the Doggo, and hosted by me, the Shirapada. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review wherever you can, and remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LegendaryPod1 and LegendaryPod. Check out the links to the podcast website and the Strange Up Strange website in the show notes. Until next time, remember to mask up, sanitize before you fraternize, and above all, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!